Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hey, Graham, it's Michael Waits. How are you doing tonight? I am fantastic. Calling you from Tokyo, Japan. How are you doing over there in Bangkok? It's. I am doing awesome. I always look forward to our Tuesday Asia yeah. Tech Podcast and maybe today more than normal. I really want to talk to you about angel investing. I want to talk to you about it, like its stage of development itself, mm. you know, in Thailand and Southeast Asia, but also in the entire sort of Asian region. I think there's a lot of development that still is required here. And I don't think, I don't think that whole concept of like angel investing is fully understood yet. Mm. And just based on, you know, some experiences that I've had over the past couple of years, we talked a little bit and we even made sort of a special session that we present to people about what entrepreneurs should look for when they take investment at an early stage, seed stage investment. But we never really talked about like what an angel should look for. What, what does it mean to be an angel investor and, and, and what kind of philosophy do you have if you're going to invest at a really early stage of investment, right? Can we start at the top and define some of the terms? Because I know this is kind of known area for us, but not everybody listening necessarily knows what we know and maybe they use different terms so what exactly is an angel investor and what isn't an angel investor yeah so what what isn't an angel investor an angel investor isn't someone that sits in an institutional business and makes you know writes large tickets at you know series at a at a venture capital company necessarily right that's not an angel investor even if you're only investing twenty five thousand dollars um Angel investing is really just individuals or syndicates, which we'll talk about later, of individuals who say, I like this space, I, I like technology, or I like some type of business, and I'm willing to put in 25000 to $50,000 of my own personal money that's coming out of my savings. I'm making an asset allocation decision, and instead of putting that money into a stock market or back into the business that helped generate that income, I want to put that money back into the system, essentially, and just act like a business angel. Right? So that's the earliest stage of investment for most startup companies. And that's finding people that are angel investors that say, I know that I am funding an experiment at its, at its core. Right? And in some cases, an angel investor will really invest in a business plan with no financial projections, no nothing. Right? And I think it's important for the angels themselves, if they're calling themselves angel investors, to understand that it's the riskiest place to invest, but also the place to invest with the most potential upside, right? So, you know, again, if you put $50,000 into Uber in the angel round, it's probably worth $100 million today. And that's not going to happen for all of your investments. But what an angel investor isn't in most cases is you know, somebody who's funding growth or somebody who's funding something that's already been proven or somebody who sits in an institutional business that's allocating small tickets to a bunch of different, you know, investment opportunities. It's just not angel investing. So in a way, it doesn't have to do with size. Um, You can be an angel investor and invest $500,000 in a business. It's probably not necessary. But again, it depends what technology is being developed. But it's really just the earliest stage of investment, the riskiest stage of investment. And it's generally one or two individuals or a syndicate of individuals if they want to raise like more money. But I think it's important, an important um, difference to sort of define that that term as well. Is that is that fair, you think? Yeah, you made a good point a few episodes back when we were talking about angels. And I think maybe even in the, the download that we give away on our site about how to pitch investors and right. we talked about some of the objections in that section one of the questions that comes up is 
what do you do if an angel turns around to you and says, where are your numbers? Where are your revenue figures? And if that's the case, what you're saying is if an angel is asking that, they're not really they're an wrong. angel. No, they're not. They're not. And again, we went over this, but I want to go over it again because I just see this all the time. And I think it's definitely worth repeating because, frankly, some people are just not listening. And I think <clears throat> that when they start asking you for numbers and projections, you know, I think you just politely decline. At this stage of the business, you know, you're really just trying to build something and test it. Right. So do you believe that this type of product is necessary? Would you consider using this product? Would your mother use this product? Um, or would your friends who are in business use this product? If the answer to that question is yes, and you just have the faith in the fact that, you know, I as the provider of that product or the builder of that product can actually build it and you trust me, you should just give me that money. Um, because if you start asking for details and you want to tranche that money out, which I think we can talk about as well, I think you're just in the wrong space and you shouldn't be doing it because you're not – all you're going to do is be a drag on that business particularly after investment, as opposed to being helpful to that business, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so key here is an angel investor is somebody who is backing an experiment, right? Somebody who's willing, to, you know, their risk profile is very different to somebody a bit further up the chain, right? There's somebody who's coming in, understanding that this could just be an idea. It doesn't yet have a market fully developed, doesn't yet have necessarily a product, but that person is used to that, right? Maybe they come from that background. Maybe they, they're a startup entrepreneur themselves who's exited. So they're well aware of the risk, right? They don't need to be sold on, you know, de-risking the whole thing as if it was a safer investment. No, and they don't need to know you're going to break even in three months because that's just silliness. It's just not going to happen in most cases, right? Um, but let's just consider a standard angel investor who, let's say, has – $5 million or let's say $2.5 million of investable capital, which means that that money has been allocated outside of the normal things in which they invest, whether it's real estate, stocks and bonds, mutual funds, or even later stage startup investments, which is fine because it's a completely different product. But in that case, let's say they take some of that money and they want to make 10 investments at the angel level, right? And remember, if you're an angel too, part of the idea is that you're nice. Think about what an angel is, right? It's somebody who like descends from heaven, whether you're religious or not. Right. Like that's the image that's there, right? So that's the idea is that you're kind of descending down, you're bestowing something upon somebody. And if they need your assistance, you're there for it. But otherwise, you're just going to fly away and watch this person flourish or this team flourish. They're not asking for your ideas. They're not asking for your management style. They're not asking for you to come down once a week and tell them what they're doing right and doing wrong. If they ask you, Please answer. But don't tell me my business model is wrong and don't tell me that like the way I'm allocating my resources is wrong. You just haven't – first of all, you haven't invested enough money. But second of all, we're still testing. You know we're still testing. So to a certain extent, like be an angel but be an angel, right? And I think that understanding that from an angel investor standpoint is really good. And you know, some of the angels will tell you they, they'll take um, – <clears throat> They'll take their potential investee companies or the management or the founder, right? I was listening to somebody talk about this and they'll say, yeah, I'll take them to CrossFit training right. Why? before I make an investment decision. Why? I want to see like how do they react in a really difficult environment that maybe they haven't encountered before. Will they give up? Hmm. Do they have the sort of stick to as an investor? You know, I want to be able to see that. But I think in reverse, there are ways for founders – Right. To kind of go out, like take an angel out to dinner, see if they pay for it. 
Mm, that's interesting. You know what I mean? Now, there are ways to understand somebody's character without asking them, what's your character? Right. And I think if you're a founder, you really want to know who you're partnering with. Is that a problem? Prior- I mean, you know, yeah. are there plenty of, well, angels, quote unquote, out there that aren't really? I mean, is there enough to make it a problem? There are. And, and you know, the other thing an angel shouldn't have is a really big ego. Because your ego can get in the way of so many other proper investment decisions. In other words, if you're investing to sort, if you're investing as an angel because you feel like you have excess capital, and you want to be in control of something, don't don't be an angel investor. And frankly, if you're a company founder, and somebody who comes to you, and this is why you have to sort of hang out with them a little bit. This is the reverse of going to CrossFit with a potential investee company. Is with a potential investor, take them out to dinner, play a game with them, shoot hoops with them. Yeah, you know. Outside of the standard cross-the-table format, right? Yeah, because and, – and definitely do not pitch over the phone if you can avoid it because people give visual clues. Yeah. And you can see, right, an angel investment should be somebody that's being nice to you. Again, the term angel. And I want to stress this because if they're not nice to you before they make an investment or if they're playing – if they're egocentric or if they're playing sort of ego or power games with you prior to making the investment – I can 100% guarantee you it's only going to get worse when that investment is done. Yeah. Okay. So if you're if you want to invest in the seed stage and seed actually should really just be a little bit away from an angel investment, but I want to talk about angels today, but the point is that even at the seed stage of investment you're you're just really financing sort of the second stage of that experiment. Um where the first stage takes a little bit of capital, the seed takes a little bit more. But the whole idea is you're kind of descending down with capital that you don't need. And if you're going to invest between twenty-five dollars and $50,000 into a new entity, you're probably going to make 10 of those investments. right? And we've talked about this before. There's a school of thought right, that 80% of your investments will fail. And I will say this um, unequivocally, and that is – if you're aiming for 80% failure, then you're aiming in the wrong direction. And I've had plenty of venture capitalists and even founders say to me, yeah, 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 but you're just being overly optimistic. Um, the statistics tell us that 80% of venture capital investments fail. And I was actually having this conversation with a founder yesterday. We were talking about a different topic, but basically the same statistics. And my answer to him was, yeah, and that's a great stat. But – does that include every idiot investor who makes who puts money in, or does it include just the highly educated, highly informed investors that are heavily curating their investments too? Because I think if you if you actually look at those statistics on a more granular level, you don't have an eighty percent chance of failure. Mm. Because anybody who who goes into any situation where they're expecting to win or to profit and they're building an eighty percent failure rate, it's just they're building in failure and they're just gonna fail. Right. And so does, thing, that, does that apply to all VC investments as well, later stage, or is that just across all investments? How does that work, the 80%? So the, it, it's, that's across all of them, right? And if right, you look right. at some of the statistics, and the, the man to whom I was speaking yesterday said, and he it was really interesting, right, because he's raising a Series B. And his contention to me was that every Series A investment, 85% of them don't bridge the gap between Series A to Series B. And, you know, he was talking about how difficult it was to raise to Series B. And I said, yeah, that's a great statistic. But of those Series A companies, what percentage of them actually should have raised to Series A 
So should they really sit in this in this category? And have they done enough work with their Series A money to actually justify a Series B? Or is it just like every company that – you know what I mean? So sometimes some kid starts a company his mother funds his Series A. Does that mean that that person is actually valid to be able to go from Series A to Series B? It's the same thing down at the angel level, right? Um, and that is – you can give me all the statistics you want, but there's no other part of your life that you don't curate, right? If you meet 10 people, you're not going to say that being friends with them, 80% of those friendships are going to fail. Mm. All you're going to say is, I'm not even going to try to be friends with 70% of those people. And then out of the three people that I meet, let's just say two of them are awesome. And I meet one of them all the time. And then the other person I meet most of the time. So now I've got like a, you know, a, 60-something percent success rate. Right. I mean, I can't imagine an angel investor of any salt, worth their salt, would have an 80% failure rate built into their investments, right? Because that's the difference, isn't it? I mean, an angel investor is spending their money, and with all due respect to them, a VC isn't spending their money, right? They're spending other people's money. So Correct. I could live with an 80% failure rate because, you know, if I was to do that, I'm not losing half a million dollars of my money, right? No. And again, if you're an institutional investor, you're likely taking fees on top of it. So you're right. The incentives are misaligned. And we can spend you know, a whole show talking about that. But let, let's not go there because I think I can really go off on a tangent on how – Winding you up a little bit, see how far yeah, you get. I don't, I don't think you disagree with me. You know like once right. I get going on this, I'm, I'm not going to stop. But I think that in some way that those investments are, are not um, – that, that those things are not – properly aligned right? right and that's why in some but cases the, the bottom line the, there i guess we're saying is that an angel can't really get away with an 80 percent failure rate but a vc possibly could right so you know they could still make fees out of their investments yeah and and you're right and, and there are actually some angels who you know either a have too much money or b are just too stupid or, or c just have too much time on their hands right and aren't doing enough to or don't have enough time actually and aren't doing enough due diligence but the reality is that if eighty, if you know that eighty percent of of your investments are going to fail, like don't make those eighty percent. Right, like right, just be right. a little bit smarter. Have have a theory. Like there's no other part of your life where you're just spraying and praying, right? I like to think about investing in the same way that you think about dating, right? If there are ten dating targets, you're not going to go over to every single one of them and say, "Do you want to go out with me? Do you want right. to have a date with me? Do you want to have a date with me?" You're just going to look at them and say, "Hmm." Well, some people do have that strategy, right? But it, it ain't effective long term. And th there's a big cost involved, isn't there? I mean, the same. Well, yeah. So it doesn't. Time, it's not efficient, right? right? Yeah. Exactly. Because so, you're not just wasting eighty percent of your money. You're also wasting all that time because an angel investor is hands on with these people, right? Sure. And also think about what the impact is that failure has on your own personal morale. Right. Yeah, In other right. words. If 80% of the things in which you invest fail, you're, you're much less likely to make another 10 investments because you're going to get gun shy. But if your investment thesis from the beginning is I'm going to invest in the three best companies that I find and, and you can have people argue on the other side, well, your investment thesis is just way too concentrated. You're not investing in enough companies and you'll end up missing some too. Yeah, maybe. Okay, But portfolio theory in and of itself actually has – 
an optimal portfolio size, an optimal portfolio choice, okay? And I don't think it's much different between listed and non-listed markets. And I think that if you build in, I'm going to harp on this a little bit, but I think if you build in 80% failure, you're going to be out of business a lot longer than you're going to be in the business. And your likelihood of actually getting a successful investment it's going to be closer to zero than it is to one statistically, right? And then you have to ask yourself, here's the other thing too. What should an angel investor do um, when it comes to their investment thesis? Do you have one, right? So if you're an angel investor, you can't say, I'll invest in anything as long as the team is good. Hmm. Okay, the team may be good, right? But here's the way you have to look at it as well. I think the initial, your initial view is three things. Is the team good? Is the idea awesome? Is the market gigantic? And I feel like we keep repeating these things, but I think it's important to do it. Because some people say, ah, I just invest in the people. As long as the idea is okay, the people will figure it out. Because in the end, I have to trust them. They have to be hardworking and all this other noise. But the reality is that that's a table stake. Are they gunning for like a big market? If you're an angel investor, you should make sure that they are, right? So you don't want to look at businesses that are one country unless that one country is the United States or China, maybe India. But if you're in Southeast Asia and you're an angel investor, you really want to have a strategy around is that business local and regional first? And then how big in the region can it get? So how big is the market? And does the idea fit the market, right? And then if the people are really good, sure, make the investment. But this whole concept of I just invest in the people is not something that's going to work. And I want to get back to this thing we were talking about a second ago, and that is spray and pray, right? You're an angel investor. You have no responsibility to make an investment. Again, unlike a venture capitalist where your fund has a certain time frame, you have to invest all of your money, mostly front-loaded over a five-year or let's say seven-year period of time, and you expect your fund to be over, frankly, in 10 years, but as an angel investor, you have time and you don't have to marry like the first um, business with whom you dance. You don't have to. That's not the way it works. You can do nothing and that's okay. Mm. But I'm 100% sure that spray, that spray and pray as an investment thesis doesn't work. So if you're an angel investor, what is your thesis? It might work, but it's not repeatable, is it? It only works because you got lucky, right? That's That's kind of where it does work and maybe that's where people go wrong isn't it but it's not repeatable you can't then say okay right i made in 10 investments one of those was an uber therefore i can repeat that right you can't then do 10 more investments and pick the next uber that's the problem isn't it because you just got lucky and that's not a strategy right getting lucky is not a strategy and that's why again you have to have an idea and it doesn't need to be a sector right but if you asked me and somebody did ask me this yesterday what is the sector in which you invest? And I said, I, I don't actually. I'm indifferent and I'm agnostic to sectors. How big is this? How big is the business going to get? What's the, and what's the likelihood it's going to get that big? What's the idea around that business? And let me talk to the management first. And I don't want to meet them over the phone. Like the phone maybe is a way to figure out if it's even taking the next meeting. But again, you get visual clues from people. Are they? How nervous are they? How confident are they? You know, what are like how what is their body language telling you about this idea? How committed are they? I think I've become actually really good and angel investors should be really good about this. Um, and that is meeting people in person and understanding the sort of physical clues that are being thrown off by somebody because they don't know they're giving you those clues. Right. Right. You're trying to sniff out the bullshit, really. I mean, that's important, isn't it? I mean, 
I mean, it's a game, really, and I guess people are, are going to say things to present their business in a positive way, which is what it's about, but there may be things that they're avoiding or there may be things they're saying which are inconsistent with the reality, right? Right, and look, so I met... <laughs> I wasn't considering talking about this, but I met somebody a couple of days ago who was pitching a business to me. And I could literally tell in the first five minutes that it was just complete noise. I really could. I could tell by the way they were introducing sort of – by the way they were name-dropping people that they did not really know. By the way that they were telling me that their product was cutting edge and sort of so innovative that most people to whom they've discussed this didn't understand it. Right. and. Right. In the end, it was something so simplistic. Like I really feel I was insulted by the level of simplicity of this business. And this was one of those cases where I tell you, as an angel, right, you should, pro you should take a lot of meetings. You should meet a lot of people. But this was one of those things where experience came into play really early. And I just thought they're never going to get invested because this story that they're telling isn't true at any level. And it was so easy to tell by meeting them in person. It may have been harder because they were fidgeting in a way that like I just couldn't explain and their bodies were dropping like the more questions I asked them their bodies were kind of collapsing into themselves you know how that sort of clammy thing works and it was just like there's no way this is going to work but again as an angel investor I think you owe it to yourself to meet these people in person because while the phone can be like a, maybe a way to sort of filter through some stuff there's no better way to meet somebody than to meet them face to face, and I would even say that videoing it doesn't doesn't do it justice. Not at all. There's something special, isn't there? I mean, that will never be replaced. You learn stuff, you pick up on stuff in those meetings, like you said, which maybe you're not even aware of the fact that that somebody's doing something, but you're reading it subconsciously. And the more meetings you have, the more you read that stuff, right? Because you right. pay pay less attention necessarily to what they're saying but how they're saying it that kind of gives it away doesn't it it yeah it really does because again and we've talked about this before but it, in, in almost all cases it's not what you say that matters actually it's how you say it and that's true if you're being nice if you're being mean if you're being aggressive if you're being passionate like it's really important like how you how you um verbalize something right and I can use the same words to you and they can have two completely different meanings based on the way that I'm saying it as opposed to just the words themselves, which is why face-to-face <clears throat> -face is really important. We should also talk about strategically, like, because angel investing is a uniquely sort of individual endeavor, how can you, as an angel, increase your chances of making better investments? I think it's a really important topic to cover. Right. So what's the problem there? What's the problem with being an individual endeavor? Why is that a, an issue for somebody who has experience, has capital, and it doesn't necessarily have the same pressures that somebody who's running a startup has or, you know, any, you know, somebody who's working for their salary, right? Well, I, I think it, so I like to say, you know, nobody succeeds alone. And I think investing is the same thing. If I have a group of like-minded people that have the same sort of alloc I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, they have the same access to resources as I do. There's literally no downside and maybe all upside in sitting in a group of people that are also potentially considering making angel investments and saying, help me vet this. What am I missing? You know, you built a business in marinas and boating, and this is something that's trying to sort of disintermediate radio communication on the open seas or whatever it is. And I don't know that much about it, but is it really true that this thing is correct and that, you know, when seagulls land on your boat at this thing i don't know the answer to that question but you may have that expertise 
And if I don't know that, then I may miss an opportunity or I may make a bad decision because I just didn't have full information. And that simulates hmm. a, <clears throat> a, an institutional environment where you have people to bounce ideas off of. And I think that one of the best ways for angels themselves to succeed is to exist in an angel syndicate or an angel group where they have regular meetings of like-minded people and by being part of a larger group, you know, your, your deal flow also increases, right? Because again, if I'm sitting at Anderson Horowitz in Silicon Valley, I'm going to potentially see every deal. But if I'm an angel investor, even if I'm right in Silicon Valley in an office on Sand Hill Road, I may not see all that, those deals. But if my best friend, right, if she has access to those deals and is also an angel investor, I want to participate in the meetings w that she's participating in and in other and in her friends' meetings as well. And the idea is you create relationships with other angel investors, maintain those relationships and manage those relationships in a way that increases your deal flow but also increases your opinion base. So you're, again, you're not operating alone. You're still investing just your money, but you see more deal flow. And in, in almost all cases, more information, you know, up to an optimal limit is better than less information. And participating in, you know, events is maybe too strong a word, but participating in a community of angels, I think is always better as long as those angels are good and successful and, you know, as open with information as you are. But I think existing in an angel investment group is actually also really helpful for your investment decisions, if that makes sense. Yeah. What exists out there at the moment for these angels? I know you talked about syndicates, so people might think of you know, the obvious choices like angel list and so on. But what kind of networks exist out there for these kind of things? I mean, there must be. There must be networks for people, if you're an angel investor, to plug into, yeah. right? Which yeah, are beyond I mean, the sort of the old school networks. Yeah, there are and there aren't, right? Because what you don't want is you don't, you know, again, getting back to the signal and noise discussion that we've had in the past too, if you're an engineer, right, you want to eliminate all the noise and just find the signals. So you, all, you want to make sure you're in a group that has angel investors only in it and that you're not dealing with a bunch of people that are there as kind of investment tourists, or for, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Right? I don't want people sitting in the stands just listening to what we're talking about that aren't adding any value. So sure, there may be some sort of, again, for lack of a better term, an old boys network or an old girls network out there. But you know, 70% of those people are not actually going to allocate capital but just say no to everything. I don't really want them in my group. Mm. Um, but what I do want is a bunch of people that are willing to make an investment that's allocated capital to it. Maybe that have already made a few investments but, are, but know that there's a whole bunch of stuff that they don't know. And also understand that only investing inside your own circle is not necessarily the best way to invest. And that's why you build these sort of syndicates or, or sort of quasi-syndicates. And frankly, in I think in Southeast Asia, just because of the maturity of the investment ecosystem – you're really at, at a stage where really mature and robust and sort of active angel investment groups don't exist yet. Mm. They don't. And there are people that are trying to build them. But what I've seen is that a lot of the people get duplicated in each one of these groups. And a lot of them actually have never made investments before. So, you know, they put themselves on, you know, the investment committee and stuff. But, but their background and their experience means that they literally have no idea what they're talking about. So if you're an angel investor and you want to join an, an angel syndicate or an angel group, you should really make sure that the people that are in that group with you 
you know, have access to deal flow, have made good investments in the past. But again, they're not spectators, right? In other oh, words, that's um, investment tourists. That's hard. But yeah. now that I think about it, there's there's a ton of these, right? Because it's cool yeah, to mean, be part of, you know, you can go around and tell people, yeah, I'm in this syndicate or I'm doing that. And you could even join the syndicates on AngelList. And I think I'm a member of, you know, I'm a tourist on those just because I don't use AngelList, right? That's not my thing for investing, but I'm on it. Yeah, but that's good for you. But to be fair, if if you, and I'm using you as a general term, right? That's good for you as a tourist, but it's not great for right, the people right. that are actually trying to get something. You had no value to the other people, not right? A, nothing at all. I just got a name. I'm there because I was in when they they set the whole thing up, but I had absolutely no value, right? So there must be plenty of people like that. Yeah, so how do you, so I guess the real question now is, you know, now if you, you, you want to be part of a group of people that are serious about investing, they're not investment tourists, right? They're not spectators. They're not, want, they're not wanting to sit there and essentially get in the way intellectually because any question that they ask, unless they're serious about moving into the investment part of the business, right? So if you've never done anything before, sure, you can sit in there and learn. It's like auditing a class um, at a local university, there's nothing wrong with you sitting in there and learning, but just don't take away, right? Don't yeah. be negative. You may not be additive, but don't be negative, right? But there are things that you can learn in there and then become a proper angel investor. But the idea is to create a support group around you of people that can actually help you make better investments and to kind of simulate an institutional investment environment where you know there's not necessarily – you know, a, a chief investment officer, an investment committee where people have to pass by this and pass by that and certain metrics have to be met. But you just want people to sit up and say, actually, I met that guy. He's a terrible founder. He's had three companies already. And it's not just that they failed. It's the way they failed. I would never invest money in those types of businesses from that person. Or, you know, I went to college with that woman in Chicago and she was amazing. Everything she touches turns to gold. But that's the whole benefit of having that community of people around it. And I would also say, too, that, you know, like in almost all cases, there are ways to create clubs, for lack of a better term, but syndicates that require some kind of membership, right? Because the membership itself actually ends up being a filtering mechanism for seriousness, right? In other words, I'm only going to join a tennis club and pay the fee to join that tennis club. If I'm going to play tennis every week, and maybe it's the case that, you know, my living partner, you know, my girlfriend, whatever, doesn't play tennis, but that's a great place to go individually and maybe get some tennis lessons, but also find a partner to play with weekly where I can test my lessons that I've learned. And I don't think angel investing is much different, actually. Again, I go to the meeting alone. I learn and benefit from people. I add in my experiences to the people that are there. But I eliminate the tourism, right, and the spectatorship by creating some kind of barrier to entry, whether it's a financial barrier to entry. Um, you know, we talked to Ned Phillips about this when Ned was trying to get into that um, Ironman competition, right? Hmm. How is it any different in the sense that, you know, Ned had to train for who knows how long to get his time. I, mean, I don't know how it works, but I'm just sort of summarizing, right? But to get his time under, I'm picking a number, right? Four hours, whatever it was for the cumulative balance of all the things you have to do to participate in an army. You know better than I don't know, obviously. Nine hours. Right? 
Nine hours, thank you. <laughs> Give the man some credit. But you know what I mean? So that's proof that I don't know what I'm talking about. But but there is a threshold you have to meet. Yep. Not anybody can just join. What's the reason why they do that? Well, one's for safety, yeah? You don't want a bunch of people that aren't committed to doing it because they'll create danger for the other people in it. I think the same thing is true for angel investing and creating an angel syndicate. Um, you also have to have trained and have a track record because there's no way you can participate in under nine hours if you haven't done it. And maybe you have previous events so you can actually show and prove that you've actually done it. So your, you know, your track record is auditable at some level, right? And it may be slightly different for angel investing, but the reality is that if you've, if I had participated in Ironman, right, whether it's the bicycling, the running or the swimming, and I'm just not qualified to do it, I could actually be, my participation could actually be dangerous for the rest of the participants because, you know, I could be Mary Decker and like, or Zola Budd and I could trip you. Like, it's just not right, right? If you're not qualified for this. I think as well is that membership to any kind of club is, is key is building trust and relationships, isn't it? And if you know that, Everybody around you has committed something, has sacrificed something to get into that club, that group, then that automatically builds some kind of trust, doesn't it? Because you know that you're not wasting your time with these people, whether that be the guy has trained for a year to get here or whether that guy has qualified by virtue of the fact that, you know, he has this investment track record, right? Because you know now that these people aren't time wasters or tourists and that's really key to building your trust because when people go into a club the first thing they're going to be worried about is giving stuff away or people taking or you know people will pull back a little bit so i think that is key isn't it the qualification criteria creates the value right and that should be measurable i think at some level right in other words it shouldn't be completely qualitative maybe not necessarily quantitative but there should be a way for people to understand I'm joining this syndicate and I'm joining this club because I have value to add for everybody in it. And we are stronger as a team than we would be individually. But there is some kind of way to filter and figure out who that is. But there's also a commitment too, right? In other words, you know, you should have to participate in more meetings. If there's, you know, a meeting every month, you should have to be at 70% of those meetings because otherwise you're just not serious about it. And then when you do show up, if things have been discussed at the other meetings and you're asking questions that have already been resolved, you're just wasting people's time. Can we talk a little bit about the couple of terms that you use? You talked about syndicate and you talked about group because they're quite different, aren't they? So in the context of being an angel, how do they, how do those both work in terms, you know, given examples out there? Okay, so let's talk about a let's talk about um, a syndicate. So, what is a syndicate? It's just a group of people that have gotten together in an official um, in an official way, saying the ten of us as a syndicate are going to make an investment in this company. Now, it's beneficial from a bunch of different ways, right? One is that that syndicate itself actually ends up potentially being the entity that makes the investment. So, from a cap table perspective, if you're a founder, um, instead of having ten or fifteen people sit on your cap table. You have one entity that represents those 10 or 15 people. And that syndicate can actually act like, you know, in the same way that a corporation in the U.S. has the right, all the rights that are accrued to an individual. That syndicate at some level has all the same, you know, information rights, listening rights, all the voting rights that an individual would have. And they can have their own rules internally, right, which they can decide how to govern themselves and maybe just say, you know what? Graham's the expert on this. Graham's going to run this syndicate. If he's in, I'm in. 
and I'll let him decide. And unless things go completely pear-shaped or something happens to Graham, then he just runs that investment. And there are multiple ways to run your syndicate, but the idea is it's a group of people that participate in an official capacity together. It's a known group, so your, your investee companies will know who everybody in the group is. But again, they don't need to manage 10 or 12 different investors. They just need to manage that entity, which is run by you or run by somebody else or has some structure, some management structure. And that's important, right? Because particularly at the angel investment stage, you could be literally raising $10,000 from your mom and dad, $5,000 from your brothers and sisters. You could be raising $25,000 from a more sophisticated angel investor. And maybe in the end, you raise $115,000 and it comes from eight people Mm. as a founder you really do not have time to manage the investment questions and attitudes and personalities of eight separate people in some cases it may make more sense to have that investment happen through a syndicate and that like i said that syndicate is an organized known entity right a group is really just a loose affiliation of people right you can have an angel investment group and they all decide to invest or don't invest together. It doesn't really matter, but it's not like an official entity. And it's kind of the same thing with a club where there are no membership requirements, right? It's just a bunch of people that – so you and I talk about this a lot. Is it haphazard? Is it ad hoc? Or is there a process around it? So and, a, gr- a group could form like a network of angels. And within that group, syndicates could form, right? That could be a way these things work together, right? You could have a syndicate which invests only in – specific investment thesis like it could be right we're going to back ai startups right and they just focus on that but that may come from a group so i'm just trying to think how these things work together yeah so for sure there you can have a superset of people in an investment group right or in an investment club you can call it whatever you want i don't necessarily like the word club but just a group of people that kind of get together um and you know have an angel club yeah or an angel group call it whatever you want but inside that group, they can form individual syndicates that invest in other entities, right? And you don't necessarily have to participate in all those syndicates. But if you structure your groups properly, everybody has the potential or the possibility to form those sub-syndicate, which is a subset potentially of that, that larger group that you have. And think about it in Southeast Asia. How would you do that, right? Mm. Well, you'd theoretically want representation from a lot of com- all the countries in the region, six or seven countries – Right, And you'd want people from different backgrounds, in other words, different verticals. Like you said, you'd want somebody out there that's um, pushing for artificial intelligence and big data investments. You'd want somebody that really understands augmented reality and mixed reality because that's different. Now, some of these things are going to overlap, right? Like you can't do AR without data. Everything needs data. But you don't necessarily need artificial intelligence to run that AR company. Um Some people are just going to want to invest in e-commerce. Some people are going to want to invest in pure platform businesses. And you can form sub-syndicates out of that group. But the idea is that that group actually acts like a loose affiliation or maybe sort of a slightly tighter affiliation of people that are serious about investing. And I believe strongly that even that group should have some kind of membership requirements because you just don't want tourism going on when there's money at stake, right? In other words, think about this. Let's say you run a factory and that factory is efficient and has some automation in it and all these other things. 
you don't want a bunch of tourists coming in just looking around. You just right. want the management team there. You want people that are associated with that factory to have an access card. Apple does this, right? When Not just any random person can walk around the halls of Apple and see what people are working on. Those people are tourists. They're not invited in. Hmm. You don't want them poking around the machines, do you? No, but you also don't want them getting in the way and distracting people that are trying to do serious work, right? Like if, you know, if Phil Schiller is running a global marketing meeting for a new product, you don't want some wise guy, you know, from Boston just randomly walking into that meeting and just going, hey, I'm a big Apple fan. It doesn't matter. They're tourists, right? And they have no right to be in that meeting because they're just getting in the way. Now, if that's an intern, so they've been invited into the company, they have a reason for being there. And and that's a marketing intern. Sure, sit in the meeting and be quiet and learn something so that you can become useful, a useful part of the group. But again, there's a barrier to entry for that group, which I think is really important. And if you're going to run one of these big, you know, syndicates are sort of a subset of that group. But if you're going to run one of these sort of angel investment groups, you want to have people in there for the most part, in large percentages, that are highly qualified and highly committed to making investments, right? And in some sense, you may want them to actually put up a small amount of capital to join that group, $10,000. It just shows their seriousness, right? In other words, even if you're going to join a weekend football team, right, you're going to have to prove to people that you have cleats because hmm. otherwise you can't play, right? And you're just not serious. And that's okay. You don't have to be serious about it, but then don't feign participation or the desire to participate. So I think, I think one of the keys about this is that whether it's a local group um, sort of a country group, which is interesting too, or a regional group, right? So let's say if we're talking about Southeast Asia, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand, and the Philippines, you can have Sri Lanka included in there as well. You can, you can have Bangladesh included too. Those are more sort of skewed towards India, but you can have people from those countries there. But the question is, are you really interested in, in being in that group? And if you are, I think you require some kind of commitment and if that commitment's financial that's a great way to prove to people that you're actually willing to put some money into some stuff hmm. i had experience yeah i had experience a while back i joined um i'm just curious to know what you think about this i uh, you know in terms of tightening the requirements to be in these groups i joined tim ferris's syndicate and uh the reason i did was just because it was interesting right as an as a educational experience for me but he, his requirement he said like you know you need to invest $25,000, I think, on at least one deal a year. Now, being Tim Ferriss, if you look at his portfolio, Uber, Facebook, Twitter, Alibaba, Shopify, blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, you just take there, off the bat, there's $5 billion plus companies, right? Right. Plus all the other ones that he invests in, which are even, as they stand, pretty good you know, entities. So you know that he invests in stuff and just by virtue of investing stuff, those things become successful because they get so much marketing, you know, like capital because of him. So you can imagine this syndicate would just get hundreds, if not thousands of people signing up. So this is what I found as an experience is that he, because he had so many people on his, in his syndicate, and he had access to so much capital, the game changed totally. You know, he wasn't simply, you know, in charge of an angel network of six or, you know, between six and 10 guys, right, who had a very clear investment philosophy and could talk about the investments and learn from each other and so on. Instead, it was just, right, okay, I could go into this investment and I could bring in 
millions of dollars of seed capital, right? Just because, by virtue of ha having this very, very deep syndicate. It's just interesting. That to me, I don't know. Who, was that a success? For, for me as an individual, I just backed out and said, no, I'm not going to come in because I feel like I'm being presented with deals that I absolutely don't know anything about, have no control over, and will have no relevance to whatsoever. I couldn't you know, be in contact with the founders of that startup or anything, right? So, I mean, what do you think about that kind of setup? Because that's kind of almost a victim of its own success, isn't it? Right. So I think it skews things in a bunch of different ways. One is you'll never be able to talk to the head of that syndicate because he doesn't know you and doesn't care about you. Right. So there are too many people in it. You know, I always like to look at things from an optimization standpoint. Is that optimized for everybody in the group? And the answer to that is no. Second of all, you know, you're having too much impact from an investment standpoint because the mere fact that you are in a group that has too many people in it means that there's too much capital in that group. You can no longer make angel style investments because there's too much money there. Hmm. Right? So if Tim Ferriss says he's going to invest in, you know, company C and a thousand other people want to put twenty five thousand dollars into it, it's just too much money, right? It's no longer a seed investment anymore. Right? I mean, just think about it. What's twenty five thousand times a thousand? It's twenty five million dollars. Like how do you manage that? It's just right. really it's well, you're it's a VC now, right? Effectively, aren't you? You're you're at that level of the game, aren't you? But you're sort of trying to you're a syndicated VC almost, aren't you? I mean, all these people effectively general partners, right? I mean, limited partners, right. sorry. But it also but it also impacts the sort of le the head of that syndicate's not just ability but desire to make an investment too, right? I mean, one of the things about making an angel investment in a small group or individually is. You know, if Graham decides he wants to put $25,000 into Uber and the company goes bankrupt in six months, Graham answers to Graham and maybe Graham's family about, you lost that twenty five grand, right? But, but you only, you owe yourself an explanation as to why you did what you did and why it was wrong. But if you're Tim Ferriss now, you're thinking, hmm, I think I want to invest $25,000 of my own money because that's, even with, even with my level of resources – that's still the right amount of money to invest in it. But me making that decision now has way more consequences than I would like it to have. Hmm. I can no longer make investments in the way that I'd like to because too many people are following me. It's like stop, like, stop following me and get away from me in a way. Right. Right, so I think you have to think about building an angel investment group that has an optimal size um, and that ha has an optimal composition – but that also has, like a, we talked about, a barrier to entry. So m maybe, you know, Tim's thing was $25,000 investment every year. Um, <clears throat> you know, again, how do you moderate that? How do you control that? Right, I think right. the idea is just like you can create subgroups maybe. Maybe Tim Ferriss should have had a syndicate that had, you know, we're just doing AI stuff. But again, how do you stop tourism? I think and I think it has to be, to a certain extent, self-policing. Like it, do do you have a view on you must have a view on this as well I'm curious like I spent a lot of time thinking about how this should work and what the like how you optimize that group but I'm just curious like again you know I don't have a monopoly on the right idea right you, so I'm just curious when you're looking at it from your so you know cuz you joined a, a an angel inv I mean a syndicate right angel investment syndicate but like if you can't talk to the person running that syndicate, then there's nothing exactly. for you to learn in it because all you're doing is following, and there's nothing like you can't learn anything by following. And that defeats the the point of joining, right? 
at the end of the day it's not just about investing 25 grand it's about learning because you want to be surrounded by people who can share their insights right and you get an understanding of how they work and think and that only comes with a smaller group right the thing you know like joining angel list and joining tim ferris's syndicate there's there's really no pre-qualification you know i mean no. anybody anybody can rock up with 25 grand anybody can claim to have 25 grand right you know they can't actually look in your bank account so there has to be i think there has to be some kind of vetting process beyond just i've got capital it has to be right okay who is this person right where are they coming from what do we know about them but you know you can't expect tim ferris to do that to thousands of people so that doesn't work right no no but that would be an ideal process where you could actually say okay right these that's why i guess you know angel syndicates work through personal referral right that's how they kind of work now because you right. know that guy or well, michael knows that guy therefore he's safe right michael says he's safe he's safe with me right so that's kind of how it works now isn't it i, I think so and then you just have to find an optimal size right um and again, you know, every person that joins that syndicate has to have, or that group has to have some kind of value that they add, right? In other words, if you don't understand logistics and they're a logistics expert, that's a great person to have in the group, mm. right? And you also have to have a mentality and a certain set of rules, I think, around who manages that group, right? Like I, w I may want to join an angel group or an investment group, but I really don't want to spend a lot of time doing the admin around sort of managing it, setting up meetings, bringing in speakers. I mean, wouldn't you love to be part, <clears throat> excuse me, of an angel investment group where pick a time once a month, once every six weeks, whether it's in face to face or virtually, you know, you have a huge angel investor from Europe come and talk to your team oh, yeah. or you have, or you have, you know, some of the best invest, some of the best, sorry, startup founders come and talk to your team and talk to you about their angel investment experiences from both sides. You know, here's what happened when I built my angel group, why I put together a syndicate to invest in my company as opposed to using the experience that somebody else had where they really mucked it up because they had 10 people put stuff, you know, stuff in on their cap table. Like there's a, a lot of things you can do if you have a, an efficient and optimized group. But not everybody's going to want to run it or manage it because they may or may not have the time, right? One of the things about angel investors is they're probably doing other things. It's interesting what you say about that learning from others. And when you actually look at it, I mean, if you think about your average angel, they probably have anywhere between 10 and 30 years professional experience, right? That could be in startups. It could be working in corporate. When they've been working, let's say, 50 hours a week on that you know, for 10 to 30 years, right? And as an angel, however, right. they may have only a few years experience. And even in those years of experience, they're not working 50 hours a week as an angel investor. You know, it's probably single digits, isn't it? Every week in terms of that, what they're doing as an angel investor in terms of actual productive time. Because as you said, they're doing other stuff and the stuff that they do do is probably meetings, sitting in presentations and so on. And that's not 50 hours a week. So if you were to count the hours of experience, you know, it's completely different, isn't it? So when you look at angel investors, a vast majority of angel investors are comparatively compared to their backgrounds inexperienced, right? Everybody is, right? Because they, right, they can't have thousands of hours of experience as an angel. No, because it hasn't been around for that long, right? And there are some people that commit to being angel investors full-time. Like, that's their job. But it's rare, right? But you, So, again, just to get back to what you want out of this, <clears throat> out of this group, 
you know, we talked about deal flow earlier, right? Mm. So it's incumbent upon the members to bring in deal flow. Maybe once a month you meet and you just look at five companies or six companies. And again, this is not, and again, please excuse my language. This is not some bullshit pitching competition where everybody gets three minutes um, and then some idiot gets to ask them dumb questions. You want to have a thoughtful process around doing deal flow Again, in the same way, you know, speed dating never works, right? You wouldn't do the same thing if you wanted to take somebody out to dinner. You have to think about it the same way. You know, and you're not going to ask them dumb questions. You're going to ask them serious, thoughtful, like deeply intellectual questions. I think you have to set up an environment where that's going to happen too from an investment standpoint. So you want to have really thoughtful people there, but you also want to have a process around here are the five best things. And, And frankly, if you don't have five things in which you think potential investments could get made, don't have the meeting. Yeah. So true. Uh, there's another thing as well. I think it's got to be enjoyable. You mentioned speed dating. To me, there's probably nothing le- less enjoyable than speed dating, even in the business context, right? No, it's terrible. And I think it's about, just, you know, I, I, I have like a, I suppose you could call it like a syndicate of investors in real estate that I work with. Right. And I absolutely love working with them. It's just a lot of fun, you know, and we're not always laughing and, you know, pushing each other into the bushes. I'm not talking about that type of fun, but it's kind of like, it's so enjoyable. And I feel like I really enjoy working with them and learn from them, right? And that's the thing, isn't it? Because those kind of setups that you mentioned, like demo days and I mentioned it, demo days, but you know, like the the speed dating (laughs) concepts, right? They're not fun. No, they're they're not. not, And they're not fun for anybody. They're not meant to be fun. Exactly. So you've got to do something that's enjoyable as well. So, you know, you've got to hang around with these people. And I think... Whilst that may sound like a fluffy, nice to have, it's kind of at the end of the day, it's what's going to keep everybody together because that's where trust is formed, right? And that's what keeps the thing going long term. Completely. And again, that's why we don't do things on an ad hoc basis, right? This gets back to something you and I talk about a lot is what's the process you have around it? Um, And is that process thoughtful and is it efficient and effective? Um, All right, Michael, I've got to draw you out now where are we going with this? Because I sense that you want to do something. I sense that you want to. You've got a sense that something's not working, and you. you but so, so we have a goal, goal right? right? Yeah. So I have a goal, right? And one of my goals is to sort of professionalize the investment environment. There are some insanely great investors in Asia, but I do think, to a certain level, they're few and far between. So I think the right idea is to try to is to try to put all these views into practice because even the best angel investors that you and I have met, and we've met a bunch of them over the past like year or so, mm. all of them say, right, that they want to have a better infrastructure around their ability to make the right investments, right? How can they get better information? How can they see better deal flow? And even some of the most, what's the right word? <clears throat> the most confident Angel investors that we met are super confident in their like sort of previous jobs, but they know that there's a whole bunch of stuff that they don't know. And I think there's a value, as we've been talking, in maybe setting up a group and seeing how that goes, right? Setting up a group of like-minded investors, not just locally but regionally, and getting those people together on a regular basis and making sure that they have access to the right deal flow because they help generate that deal flow, but limiting the group of people to sort of an optimal size, and if you get beyond that optimal size, then create another group, right? So you're never going to have Tim Ferriss's thousand people in that group where just investing, you know, with $10,000 for everybody is $10 million, right? 
And I think you just kind of build around that community. I think that community is really powerful and really strong and build a learning environment around it. But also, again, curate the group itself and make sure that there's no tourism inside that group. And I think it's a really powerful way to sort of increase what's going on and sort of professionalize the angel investing business in Southeast Asia because I think it requires it. Right, And we talked a little bit before about how you see angels operating alone and not operating in a way that's necessarily the most professional. But again, they're operating in the dark to a certain extent. And you'd want to eliminate that stuff and put process around it and create a group that people actually want to be part of, but that not everybody can be a part of because that's where they're going to start making the best investments, where they can create sub-syndicates and they can create sector-based syndicates and make really powerful investments by using that group's sort of complete and aggregated experience. And I think that's actually going to be really powerful. So we have to get to work in making this happen. What can people out there do? If, if what we've talked about today has sparked interest in somebody and they, they agree or, you know, maybe they have opinions as well, what would be the best way to get, you know, interact with us and make this happen? Because, you know, it's all very well exchanging opinions and stuff, but we need to make this happen, and that's key. Isn't well, so it? I think, so I think for us, the way we start building that community is we're gonna we're gonna split off actually and do broadcasts that are just talking to angel investors. Yeah. I think it's the first step in this process, and we've already reached out to a bunch of angels, and they've agreed to interview, and it's more than an interview, right? To have a conversation with us, and that conversation is public, so they can share some of their experiences. How have you made your best investments? What have you failed at? What would you need more of? How would you like to talk to? How would you like to meet other angel investors? And I think the more we do that, then we can create that community around it. If there's an investor out there that is an angel investor that wants to be part of that group, they should let us know, right? And yeah. we'll, we're happy to have a conversation with you. We want to do that. We believe that there's a real power in creating that conversation first, and then having that conversation be part of a larger and optimized group. I think the best way to do that, at least initially, is to just become part of the become part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So definitely reach out to to us and say, I'd like to share my views, because by sharing my views and putting my views on the record, even in general terms, is a great way for me to let people know what I think without being crass about it. In the sense that there may be an angel investor in Indonesia that I don't know that listens, and I have no way of meeting that person face to face yet. But if they hear me speak and something that I talk about resonates with them, it's the best way to sort of now figure out whether we can be part of the same group or syndicate or invest together and then share on a more formal basis what those best practices are. Yeah, yeah. Then then the the podcast and the radio interviews become key to the the pre-qualification, right? The qualification process is that, you know, to get into that group, you have to go through this process and – in a way, that's great for everybody because, you know, when you join a group, you've already got this content which people can connect with, right? You're not having to join a group and say, hi, this is what I do and so on. You can join a group and say, hey, check out my interview. That's great. And then people can check out the interview. They've done an interview as well, so they know the score. They know how it works. They can listen also, to what you do, right? Yeah, and it also eliminates the possibility for tourism, right? Because yeah, if you're willing yeah. to share in general terms to the public what your exactly. views are on investing, then you're definitely willing to share in private. And that uh, that desire, right? Because again, we don't want this to be a one-way thing, right? If I came to you and said, hey, I've got this great real estate investment in Bali, whatever, and you're like, okay, I'm definitely in. And then I come back to you and go, hey, have you seen anything in Tokyo? And you're like, nope. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, then I don't, why am I sharing with you? Right, right. So, yeah, that's a good point. People who get on the radio and share are more likely to share. That's their nature, right? Rather than people saying, oh, I can't talk about that. Well, I don't want to give it yeah, I mean, away, right? I, Those well, people are out there, for sure. They are. And look, you know, I get really frustrated when... And I think most people do when you're just having a you're trying to build a relationship and have a conversation with somebody. You ask them a really simplistic question that is easy to find out on your own, but you just want to confirm what they think. You know, pick anything you want. Like, do you invest in companies that have a blue logo? And they're like, well, I, I can't really can't really comment on that. Well, let me check your website. <laughs> right? It's like I can find it out. I'm just ask, like, just right. make my life more efficient by doing it. Right. And. You know, what type of verticals do you invest in? Well, I don't want to really talk about – okay, so you're not part of my group, right? And you're not yeah. – simple things like that are a really great way to filter people out from their ability to actually be a great group member or a syndicate member as well. Right. And that, that's individually something you can't do, isn't it? I mean you can't go out and interview hundreds and hundreds of people, but we can using the radio, right? We can do that. And that's what we do well. That's our thing, right? That's our strength. It, it's just a great filtering mechanism, right? Yeah. I, can, I can see in real time whether you're sharing information or not sharing information and whether that information you're sharing is valid too. So, it, again, it's a first-grade filter to see, like, would you really want to participate in that? Um, and it's not for everybody. But for the people that do do it, I, like I said, no one succeeds alone, right? And the, the necessity to have really strong people around you is something that makes all successful people even more successful. So that, that would be part of my idea, I think. Yeah. So listen, if you're an angel investor out there, somebody interested in what we're trying to build here, um, you know how to get in contact. If you don't, the best way to connect with us, you can catch us on Twitter at Asia Tech Pod, or you can get us from our website. If you're not already a member of the newsletter, you can sign up to the newsletter because we send out all our updates and interviews on that. And you can hit reply on the newsletter. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash asiatechpodcast. And of course, we are here, right here now on iTunes if you're listening to us and you're a podcast consumer. But the key here is if you're into this space, if you're interested in this space, if you feel you have an active contribution to make, then be in touch with us because we would like to share those stories. And the more stories we share with people in the angel investing community, the better it becomes because everybody learns. So there you go. That's right. how you can get in contact. What's next, Michael? Well, so the next thing to say is look for coming up soon, right? And coming up very soon. You know, you and I don't pre-announce things, but um, ATP Angels. We're going to start in. We're going to start interviewing. We've already lined up a few of these. We're going to do more, but we want to start interviewing people. Um, specifically to talk about angel investing, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, everything about angel investing. Again, it's going to be the best place to learn about what a real angel investor does, what their experience have taught them over time. And we want to break it out from the regular just ATP stories that we do and be very specific about having sort of a weekly conversation with an angel investor and giving them the platform to be able to talk about their angel investors their angel investments and what their theories and their theses are and then let people who are aspiring angel investors listen to those conversations frankly as we've done in the past we'd love to do some of that live so there can be some real-time feedback but even without that we really welcome as you said earlier feedback about that but that's a new thing that we're doing we're, we're announcing it now that we wanted we will do a broadcast that we're calling you know, Asia Tech Podcast or HTP Angels, it focuses on angel investment in Asia. 
You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.